Welcome back, everybody, to Upon This Rock. My name is Max Thomas. Thanks for checking out the pod today. Okay, we are continuing with our Inigo Montoya's. These are words that you keep using, the church keeps using, that I've used in the past, that I don't think they mean exactly what you think they mean. And uh, words that are, are used in our common vocabulary and vernacular that I think we have grown up hearing and using and never really given the time into thinking about what they actually mean. And in so doing, I think we've we've misused them. And so, so far we've looked at hell and we've looked at wrath. And now I want to flip the coin uh, quite literally to the other side. And today I want to talk about heaven. And uh, there's a reason for doing hell, wrath, and heaven all uh, right next to each other in, in order. And actually, that'll be the end of, of the, this episode. Uh, but I want to talk about the word heaven. He didn't fall? Inconceivable. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. I think heaven, in the way that we conceptualize it and think about it, and, and more importantly, the way that we use it, uh, I think kind of really misses a ton of what the the Bible, both Old and New Testament, actually says. So when I say the word heaven, what typically I think comes to mind for most people is uh, the place where God is. And then maybe shortly right after that is the place that I'm going to go when I die. And we have all kinds of images about what that is. You know, um, fluffy clouds and light. You, you get everything from, you know, kind of not very serious, you know, teen movies or something like that where somebody dies and they're going up an escalator into the clouds like heaven is in a mall and you're having to go up to the third floor or something like that to uh, the Lord of the Rings. I actually just got done watching Lord of the Rings and there's a... Uh, a scene in there where Gandalf is describing what happens after you die, that death is just one path. And he says, you see the the shores of white and the golden sunset and green hills. And it's a, it's always, the sun is always rising or something like that. And so we have these, these images about what heaven is. You get um, images of pearly gates and streets paved with gold and, um, you have neighbors and houses and everybody is just around worshiping Jesus. And we like to poke fun at, you know, like people like to poke fun at like, oh, we're just going to be sitting on a harp or sitting on a cloud, sitting on a harp, sitting on a cloud, playing a harp. Um, I, I don't think most people actually take that seriously, but we do have this idea, this concept of heaven as not only the place that God is, but it's the place that I go as a believer in Jesus. It's the place that I go after I die, to be with God. And then I fill, when I try and conceptualize that in my imagination, I fill that in with all of these um, little just snippets of passages that are kind of ripped out of their context in a really, I think, kind of terrible and obvious way. And then you fuse some cultural things um, with that. And then you just fuse, I think, for some people, just this wild imagination. I, I remember when I was a kid, I used to, I'm not just a 
I'm a sports junkie. And so I, I have memories as a kid asking questions and thinking about, will I get to play sports in heaven? And, and thinking about, are all we going to do, is it going to be perpetual church service? Or that doesn't seem like a whole lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, what about, what about golf and basketball? I love these things. Do I get to, do I get to do that? That would seem pretty cool. But then I'm like, oh, you know, going out and playing 18 isn't like the most spiritual thing. And, and right. So you, you start to try and fill in the gaps and whatever. But all I know is it's, it's bright. Uh, it, the sun is always shining and that sun is somehow actually Jesus. And the streets are made out of golden bricks. Like we're going to Oz and uh, we got to follow the yellow brick road. And there's pearly gates, which I don't know why there's gates in heaven. Like who is, who are we trying to keep out of heaven? Why do we need gates? Um, it's all these things, but it's just these, this little, this hodgepodge of, of ideas. But it, underneath all of that imagination is this really deeply held belief and this really deeply held conviction that if I'm a follower of Jesus and I die, that I go to heaven. And that this is a really important thing. And I want to touch on that here at, at the end. But I, f- I first want, I think we should take an examination of the actual word. And so we'll look at, okay, well, what, how is the word actually used in the scripture? And then we can, um, as in like, how is it defined? And then we'll look at how is it that definition employed and actually used in scripture. And we can kind of, I think, get a... a a better picture of what the word heaven even means. So the first time we see the word heaven is actually in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you'll notice there's something very strange. Um, not every English translation does this. Some of them do. Um, some will say, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Uh, but it's actually the the Hebrew word, and I hope I, I didn't take Hebrew. I've done a little bit of messing around with it. I have good Bible software that can tell me stuff, but I, I've never tried. I don't know how to pronounce everything. Uh, so I believe it's Shamaim. Is how you say it, Shamaim. Some Hebrew nerd, if you're listening to this, you probably aren't. But if you are, you can leave me a voicemail on the link in the show notes and tell me that I'm pronouncing it wrong. Uh, but the, the word Shamaim, but not, not every English translation picks up on this. But some do. It's actually a plural word. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens, not heaven. Um, it, it, the verse does not read, in the beginning, God created the place that he lives and earth. It's in the beginning, God created the heavens, plural. And if we track with that word, if you just do a basic search of the Hebrew word shamayim, heavens, what you will see is every time that word is used, every time, every time, Every time that word is used in the Old Testament, it's used in the plural. And what it refers to is three things, typically. Uh, Number one, the sky, like where the birds are. So later on in Genesis 1, when uh, the birds are created to fill the sky, it's the same word. To to fly in the heavens, to fly in the sky, it's the same word, Shamaim. So the heavens are the place where the birds are. The heavens are also the place um, uh, above where the birds are, what we would now call outer space. 
the, the, the place that continues to go up above where the birds are, that's a far away way that we can't see where the stars are and the sun is, that's the heavens. So the stars are in the heavens. The sun is in the heavens. The moon is in the heavens. Um, again, the birds and the creatures are in the heavens. And it's all the same, the same word. Then you get some verses that talk about principalities and, and powers being in the heavens. So it also seems to be a place where there's spiritual um, beings, like non-physical beings. That would probably be a better way to put it because as soon as I say spiritual be- beings, I'm dividing uh, spiritual things into non-physical things, and, and I don't think the Bible makes that distinction. So you could say material things and immaterial things, immaterial beings and and uh, material beings and immaterial beings also fill the heavens. And then you get you get God who is in the heavens. His home is in the heavens. Um, you know when when he when he's talking to I think the prophet Isaiah. He says, you know, where's the temple that you build me? I dwell in the heavens. The Psalms over and over all the time, the prophets talk about God being in the heavens. And sometimes you will get these these phrases uh, like the highest of the heavens or the heaven of heavens to distinguish um, when the author wants to distinguish. I'm talking specifically about the place that God dwells, Um, but it's, it's all the same word. In fact, them distinguishing highest of heavens or heaven of heavens kind of actually proves the point that they're, they have to add additional adjectives onto the word shamayim so that you know exactly what it is that they're talking about. Because that same word is used to talk about the sky and outer space and the stars and the sun and the moon and where uh, non-physical spiritual beings seem to live, angels, things like that, and then where where God is. It's all that same word. And it would be fascinating to do a whole set of episodes on, I think, biblical cosmology, meaning the, how they view the the universe being ordered and structured. There are some great resources out there um, on that. It's completely fascinating and, and will blow your mind. But the base, the basic idea of how they viewed the universe, the created order being structured, is kind of in this three-tiered thing where you have the heavens above, and that includes all those things that I just listed. You have the earth where we are, and then you have under the earth. And there's various things, various words used to talk about under the earth. There's the waters under the earth. That's a whole topic. There's Sheol in the underworld that's under the earth. There's pillars under the earth. There's all these different images. But so there's there's the heavens, the earth, and the under the earth. So it's this, they talk about their cosmology um, in kind of vertical um, relations. So there's there's below, there's where we are, and there's above us. And everything's on kind of this vertical plane. And the highest of heavens, as the word highest um, kind of indicates, is God lives at the very top of it. So they view that, you know, if you view kind of like a snow globe and there's the heavens and then where we are and then underneath, that God is at the very height of that snow globe. He's at the very, the very top, at the very edge of all of it that this is where god is in in the highest of the heavens but it's all on on a vertical plane and and that is how the old testament uses the word i would love to give some um, examples of how it's used differently but that that's really how the word is used in the old testament to talk about those things the old testament 
and this I think probably comes as a shock to people, but you can read any lexicon, any Bible dictionary, and you'll see this. I, I read five or six of them in preparation for this. They're, they're articles. They have just these short articles on various subjects. If you just turn to heaven, you see the Old Testament gives no indication, none, that the, when the righteous die, that their disembodied soul or spirit, however you want to understand that, uh, the, the makeup of a, of a human, the anthropology of a human, um, that this disembodied soul or spirit goes to heaven to be with God. The Old Testament just doesn't give that indication. It doesn't, it doesn't use the word in that way. It, there, are, there are no verses that talk about, about the closest thing that you can get are Enoch who walked with God and was no more, but that actually isn't really saying much. And probably more Elijah who a chariot came down, it says it took him into heaven. But again, if you just think of their cosmology, heaven doesn't necessarily mean where God is in that moment. It's he went up into the sky, you know? I mean, so it's very ambiguous because we don't know exactly what is what the author is trying to say there. I mean, I think the implication probably is that he went to heaven, but that is the literally the single exception and not the rule. Um, the Old Testament just doesn't use the word heaven to talk about the place that humans go after they die, or I should say that human souls or spirits go in a disembodied form after that. It just doesn't go there. The Old Testament talks about, in terms of the afterlife, and this is a, crosses a little bit over into our hell conversation. It talks about humans going to the grave, to Sheol, to the underworld. And um, that word is used in various ways. Sometimes it literally just means the grave. Like when you die, you go into the grave. Sometimes it does mean this kind of underworld place, but it, the righteous and the wicked go there. Everyone goes there. Um, it's not hell in the sense of some kind of punishment. It's not this purgatorial state it's not bliss it's just where the dead go they go to sheol they go to the grave and there is no other indication that you know the disembodied soul goes anywhere else and so i would say first let's also mention it that goes both ways heaven and hell um the old testament talks a ton about the final state of the wicked that they will be consumed or burned up and you know um, or they'll be purified and there's all kinds and that was kind of the conversation I tried to have with Brad Jerzak if you haven't listened to that episode you should I think it was really fascinating Um, so use all kind of language to talk about what happens to the wicked none of those though give an indication of some disembodied soul going to this place called hell, it envisions a, a final judgment. Um, and we'll, we'll come back to that here in, in just a minute uh, when we talk about heaven. But the same is true with heaven. It, the Old Testament just does not give, um, doesn't give any indication that my spirit is going to go to heaven to be with God after I die. It's just not in the Old Testament. We do get a few verses... I, I think it's like three off the top of my head. Let's talk about resurrection in the Old Testament. I mean, even the idea of a bodily resurrection is not common in the Old Testament. 
Um, there's, I think it's just three. I, I should have looked that up beforehand, but I didn't. I think it's just three. The most prominent being Daniel 12, I think two and three, um, that the righteous and the wicked will be resurrected, one to a judgment, uh, both to judgment, one to, to life and one to death. Um, but that's not talking about heaven and hell. That's talking about being resurrected, right? So um, the Old Testament just, it's far more focused to state it in the positive. The Old Testament focuses on life here. The Old Testament authors are far more concerned about what we are going through and experiencing in the here and now than they are in the afterlife um, in what we would conceptualize as heaven and hell. Now, when we get into the New Testament, heaven is actually largely used in the same way. You still get um, uh, verses where that's the the Greek uh, version of that, and I, I'm not going to try and even pronounce that. It talks about the, the place of the sun and the stars and the birds and the moon and all of these kinds of things. Um, heaven becomes a far more frequent adjective in um in the 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 new testament so you get like phrases like the kingdom of heaven um something like 85 times or something like that like just in the book of matthew um and so you get heaven becomes a concept or an adjective to describe uh, where god is or the rule of god or where god's righteousness and and justice and love and mercy are are made perfect and on perfect display. and But that is just building off of really the Old Testament concept of what heaven was. Heaven is the place where, where God dwells. Heaven is the place where God's throne is. Heaven is the place in where uh, God rules and reigns the earth from, uh, that we're here on earth, but his throne is in the heavens and the earth, the Old Testament will say numerous times, is the footstool of his throne, and the New Testament authors will pick up on that idea as as well. And mainly, that, that was the, the temple and the Ark of the Covenant was was described as the footstool of God's of God's throne. What the New Testament does drastically differently than the Old Testament when we talk about heaven and the afterlife is it talks about resurrection uh, much more. This is the dominant theme. Um, I started alluding to this earlier, but this is the dominant theme of the New Testament. The New Testament does envision, and this is because of the resurrection of Jesus, once Jesus rose from the dead, it was the sign that this is going to be what God does for all in the end. Um, That Jesus is called the firstborn from the dead, meaning we are going to be raised again. Um, Jesus is the first fruits of many brethren. He's, again, the, the first one to come up out of the ground for those who will follow, who are in him. I mean, at his, I think it's Matthew 26 or something like that. I can't remember now off the top of my head. But when Jesus raises from the dead and is resurrected from the dead, it actually says that other people, saints, were resurrected out of the grave and came up with him, that Jesus' resurrection was not a solo act, that there were other people who raised up and were walking around Jerusalem and people saw them and interacted with them, which is just a bizarre verse. Um, I put that verse up against almost anything as far as just crazy, crazy verse. Um, Paul talks a ton about resurrection, obviously, in 
1 Corinthians 15, what kind of bodies we will have. And he's, he's clearly comparing and contrasting our physical bodies with our eternal bodies. Uh, the Gospels speak at length about resurrection. Um, and Paul, in um, like I said, in his letter to the Corinthians does, um, in his letter to, well, both letters to the Corinthians, he does uh, in Ephesians, he gives this indication. Um, I'm trying to think where else he does. John, in his letters, uh, both in his gospel and his letters, you know, when we see him, we will be made like him, that we'll be raised with him. Uh, Paul in Romans, that we'll be raised to the newness of life with him. If we've died with him, we'll be raised with him. Uh, that's not just fancy language. I mean, it is, but it's actually talking about we will be raised with him. He was raised from the dead, and we also will be raised from the dead. Revelation envisions a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and again, this isn't God getting rid of his home. This is uh, new heaven and earth is talking about everything in God's creation, the heavens and the earth being made new so that Christ fills all things with himself, that he becomes all in all. Um, in fact, there are only, I think, depending on how you interpret a couple, specifically in the book of Revelations, when you talk about like the martyrs under the altar, but those are, I would be weary of building any kind of doctrine solidly on those verses. I think if you have lots of other verses, you can add, you know, something like that in, but when you're running few, I don't. I wouldn't build something solidly on how you interpret martyrs under the altar in the Book of Revelation, things like that, because you're you're just dealing with highly symbolic um, literature and visions and prophecy and poems and songs, and um, there's just a lot going on there that is just largely disputed and always has been, and, and probably honestly always will be, and um, and so. It, if you're if those are going to be your cornerstones for a doctrine, it's probably just probably not super solid ground. Not saying we can't use them because they're scripture, uh, but they're just more they're just more difficult. We just have to be, I think, honest with that. Um, but I think I think you there's three maybe four real solid verses in the New Testament that give some kind of indication of disembodied souls going to heaven after they die three or four, that's it. Now, you only need one or two. I understand that for sure. Um, but three or four is not a lot. And you get, so you get Jesus on the cross, Luke 23. He talks to one thief and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And, and paradise there is, is the word for Garden of Eden. Uh, Revelation envisions the new heaven and earth as this kind of garden of Eden. There's a tree there and a river going out there. And the garden of Eden was the place where heaven and earth um, touch. But even there, you're already kind of in a little bit of a different scope because Eden was not heaven. Eden was on earth. Eden was the place that heaven and earth met and united. And Ephesians tells us that now Christ is the place that heaven and earth meet. The temple in the Old Testament which was designed to look like a physical garden with trees and things, that was the place where heaven and earth met. And now that that is Jesus and those who are in him. Um, I, I mean, I do think that that is what Jesus is saying, 
that he's referring to, hey, you're going to be with me when you when you perish here. Um, but even that, it's not this th- slam dunk because that word paradise is loaded with all kinds of other things that actually mean something other than just the disembodied place that that we all all go to. Um, so he says, today you'll be with me. But that doesn't give any indication of anything else of what's going on other than I'm there and Jesus is there. That's it. Um, Philippians 1, to be absent from the body is to be uh, uh, present. Or no, this is this is Corinthians. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, this is, I think it's 2 Corinthians. Um, again, all you're talking about there is the same thing as I die and I wake up and I'm with Jesus and he's in heaven. And so that's kind of what I know. Um, Philippians one, um, you know, it, that same idea that, you know, I, to, what do I want to, to live or to die, you know, to, uh, live as Christ, but to die as gain, because if I die, I will be with Christ where he is. Right. Um, so those I think are the the solid solid three, Second um, Corinthians, Philippians one, Luke twenty three, and then again you you start you start getting into some of the Revelation verses I think at that point um, that give any kind of clear indication that when you die your disembodied self your immaterial self will be in heaven with Jesus. I really think that that is like the solid, the solid list until you start getting to some of the revelation texts, which I, I just said you can use. I don't want to discount them. I'm not saying they're off limits, but you just they're harder. They just are. So my point here is that I, the the word, the term is not if that's it. If the new, if the Old Testament gives no indication that when you die, your disembodied soul will go to heaven. And if the New Testament gives three solid verses, if in all of the scripture we have three or four real solid verses that say when a righteous person dies, they will their disembodied self will go to heaven. That is just not a lot. And and this is really what I wanted to see. This is why I did heaven or hell and, and wrath and heaven all in one sweep. So much of, I think, my spirituality growing up, um, at least the the general world I, I grew up in, is, is the way that I would put that. Western, modern, evangelical, for me, charismatic um, Christianity. So much of that world is built upon this heaven and hell dualism. I mean, how many evangelistic things have we all read or said? <coughs> if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? Our whole evangelistic strategy is built on the heaven and hell thing. And it, it's built on solidified, concrete ideas of what we think heaven and hell are. And what I'm hoping to do here is just to complicate that and say, one, I don't think those words are as clear as you think that they are. But two, and this is what I was trying to hopefully build to in this 
these whole last four episodes is hopefully we can begin to see that so much of our spirit, that, that we have a problem, that so much of our spirituality is built upon that dualism, that so much of our Christian faith is built on that dualism, that once you, and once you start poking at some of that, even in the least little bit, people start freaking out. I remember when I started asking questions when I was in seminary about, specifically about the nature of hell, um, I would get all kinds of crazy questions and pushback. And I don't mean crazy and like people were mean-spirited. You could just tell it made people really uncomfortable really, really quickly. You know, things like what's the point of Jesus dying then if, if you know, we don't get saved from hell? What's the point of going out and doing evangelism remissions if we're not saving people from hell so they can get into heaven? Because these two things are... Are, they're, they're linked, like you can't talk about one without talking about the other, right? Because they're the only, in our minds, they're the only two options. You either burn forever or you're with Jesus forever in, in heaven. Um, all of the ways that we talk about salvation um, are, are rooted on this idea that salvation is being saved from hell into heaven. And what we mean when we say phrases like that is we go up the escalator stairs to be with Jesus you know, and shop in the Mall of America for all of eternity with him with bargain deals. Like, this is what heaven is. It's the, it's the floaty cloud. It's the shore. It's the white shore, like Gandalf said, where the sun is always rising over the green hills and the mountains. Like, this is what, this is what it is. But it's, it's very problematic if our whole spirituality is built upon that dualism. Let me give you an example. If what I'm saying is true, just a good Friday night activity. You can do this. This is get some popcorn, have some friends, and read the book of Acts. Or if you want to cheat, just read the sermons of the book of Acts where people are openly preaching the gospel, the public sermons. I think there's seven, eight of them, something like that. And look for any um, any appeal from the apostles to the afterlife, and you won't find any. You won't find any. The only way we know how to preach the gospel is to appeal to the afterlife. The apostles, the early apostles, preached the gospel, made no appeal to the afterlife. And so I would say this. If we can't preach the gospel without appealing to heaven and hell, we can't preach it like the apostles did. And maybe it's because we don't know it like the apostles did, and, and maybe, and maybe, and this is the scary thought, maybe we don't believe the same one that the apostles did. Now, I'm not saying that you're not saved, that I'm not saved, that these people aren't. What I'm saying is maybe we actually have some fundamental different beliefs than the actual apostles, because we can't conceptualize salvation and preaching and evangelism and missions and my life in God apart from the idea of my soul floating up into the sky to be with him forever. We, we can't do it. I mean, at least in the world that I grew up in, we couldn't do it. We never, never, I mean, even just recently I was listening to a sermon and just 
was talking about something, the preacher was talking about something completely different um, and just slipped in this thing about like, aren't you so glad that we get to be with Jesus in heaven forever and that our souls will be with him for all of eternity and that our spirits will be with him and and we can will be in his presence forever and it just kept going and he was talking about something completely different and we just slipped that in and i just thought like well hold on a second is that at all what the the new testament talks about is that all what the scriptures talk about because when i read the scriptures what i see is this and and i'll I'll close with this is the new testament and the scriptures as a whole but particularly the New Testament, what they what they envision is not disembodied souls going up to be in to heaven forever. What they envision, what the authors envision, is heaven and earth coming together in physical and physical bodies being there for all of eternity. I mean, we just came off of Easter. This is what the resurrection is about. The resurrection is. The foretaste, it's the first fruits of what is to come, that human bodies will be on the earth forever and that all things will be made new, but that we will actually have bodies. This is the hope. The hope of, of, of a believer who is attending a funeral is not that the person that is dead is with Jesus. That's great. That's wonderful. I love that we have those two or three verses. But the overwhelming hope of the scriptural witness is that we will live again, be resurrected again in God's good creation with him just as Jesus was. That is our hope. Our hope is not that we get to float off into the third, you know, the third level of the mall, like the third heavens is the third level of the mall of America, and we get to just shop forever with Jesus and live in bliss, ignorant of all those people who are in hell. That's not the vision of the scriptures. The script, the vision of the scriptures are heaven and earth coming together. It's Revelation in 20, uh, 20, 21, 22 is heaven and earth coming together um, and being made new and Eden coming back. That's why that Eden imagery is, is used. And so I would just, I would just ask this, we wrestle through hell, wrath, and now heaven that we also look beneath the surface a little bit and say, what is my spirituality built on? Is it built upon Jesus, the man, his life, his death, his resurrection? Or is it actually built upon this idea that he is my way into heaven? Because I'm thankful that when I die, I'm with the Lord. But I, I'm not following Jesus because when I die, I get to be with the Lord. I'm following Jesus because he's Jesus. And I believe that he is who he says he is. And there's just a marketable difference between those two things. And you extrapolate those things out in pain and suffering and the unknown. um, And you just get to different places. You end up with different things. I've said I'm ending now two or three times, but this is what happens when I start talking. Uh, you give a preacher a microphone, even if it's just a podcast microphone in his living room with nobody else, and you just will keep talking. But like right now, at this very moment, my wife is with a family who were 40 weeks pregnant and lost the baby. It seems like due to malpractice. And we've all known tragic things to happen like that. And you hear people say things like, Jesus just, he, 
he needs the best ones in heaven with him. Or God, he needed another star in the heavens with him. Or God needed his voice in the choirs of heaven. These little pithy statements that are, they're just, they're just dumb. If I could be frank, they're just stupid. And that's not the hope of the scriptures. The hope of the scriptures is not that in the face of pain and tragedy, I rest my, my, my heart and my soul in the middle of pain, that I rest those things in the idea of my child or my brother or my sister or my whoever floating up in heaven with Jesus. I rest my heart and my soul in that in the end, all things will be made new and that the injustice that I have just suffered will be made right and that thing will come back again. That thing will live again. That that son, that daughter, that brother, that sister will live again in a body and that all will be well. All manner of things will be well. Those are just two di- totally different outcomes. And one, I think, is a natural byproduct of this heaven, hell, floaty, ethereal dualism, that that's the end goal. And the other one, I think, is much more rooted in the witness of Scripture and leads us to actually hope for God's justice and peace and restoration in the earth. Because one just leaves us kind of grasping, and the other one, we have a body that was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, and we can say, that's why I believe this, because that's what's going to happen. All the wrongs will be made right, just like it was for Jesus. And in the same way that God vindicated him, he's going to vindicate me, and I too am going to raise up. Okay, I I promise I'll end there. Thank you so much for listening. I do have another, at least one, maybe two uh, words planned in the Inigo Montoya's. I may cheat and throw a phrase in there as well, because it's just something I've been thinking about. So uh, if you haven't hit the subscribe button, make sure you do so. Uh, If you have a question, comment, uh, have a topic idea, you can email me my link below uh, or at the my email below or hit the link below and leave me a digital voicemail and I'll get it for uh, from you as well. Also, I'm hoping to do a Q&A. And so uh, if you have a question on the Bible or anything, make sure you throw that. Uh, you can you can submit those in the links below as well. Thanks so much. Have a great time and we'll see you next time. <laughs>